0: From B Media Production, this is Business Essentials. Practical advice and ideas to grow your business.
1: Basically, we are living in a world of accelerating change, you know, with technology, disruption, across society, education, and
2: many aspects of our lives. Uber comes along. It would not have been that complicated for the taxi industry anywhere to say to a bunch of geeks, make us the same model, we want it in every taxi, and they could have competed with them. That's business author and
3: advisor, Alan Hargraves, and Andrew Hutchinson of business management firm, Alchemy, and their warnings on not letting yourself get beaten by disruption. Welcome to episode 17 of Business Essentials Podcast, brought to you with the support of chartered accountants and business advisors, Cummings, Flavor, McCormack. I'm Peter Letts. This episode, we take a close look at the innovation game and how no business or industry is immune to disruption these days. Alan Hargraves has written a book on how to respond to disruptive forces. It's called Management Reboot, 52 Ideas to Make Things Happen, and you'll hear some of those ideas from his book a little later. But first, if you don't innovate and keep innovating, then your business will be left behind as other more sprightly companies overtake you. We've heard that before, along with warnings that unless we change, we probably won't survive. It's exhausting just thinking about it, and for some, the temptation is to sweep the problem under the table and carry on as usual. But that would be foolish, according to Andrew Hutchinson of business management firm Alchemy, which has helped many companies address the challenges of change and to thrive. So, what advice can Andrew offer us? Well, plenty, including what not to do, which we'll hear more about shortly. First, Why do we need to lift our innovation game? And why now? Andrew Hutchinson's talking to Heather Dawson. Basically,
1: we are living in a world of accelerating change, you know, with technology, disruption across society, education, and many aspects of our lives. In the business world, we're seeing acceleration of disruption of companies, industries at at an unprecedented rate. When you look economically, in our region in particular, we've got 200 million people in China and Indonesia entering the middle class in the next 10 years. That's huge. That's nearly half the population of Europe. So economically in in Australia, it's massive change. We've seen the end of the mining boom and we're seeing our ageing population. So, yeah, Australia has to innovate its way into the future. And the challenge for that is is really a cultural and a mindset aspect. You know, we're seeing new attitudes and mindset of the younger generation, the millennials coming into the workplace. They are connected and intuitively collaborating, which is a very different way of operating. But the real challenge and the real driver, which I believe is driving the government's agenda, is best illustrated by some recent research by CEDA, the Committee for Economic Development of Australia, where they state that within 10 to 15 years, 40% of Australian jobs are at risk, a moderate or high likelihood of disappearing due to technological advancements. So really, innovation now, to a large extent, it's about jobs. It's actually creating new jobs, new industries, new culture, new mindsets, and moving things forward.
0: The thing is innovation means different things to different people. So Andrew what do you mean by innovation?
1: There are different definitions. For me the the driving quality of innovation is that it's new, it meets real needs, it adds value and most importantly the marketplace wants it. But what's important is and part of the confusion it's not just about new products and services, it's not just about ideas and inventions. There are innovations across many areas. There are at least 15 types of innovations, such as business models, innovations in employment models, network value chain, customer service, innovations in new customer channels and and branding. And the confusion in particular about new ideas and inventions and, and the way I distinguish innovation is that new ideas and inventions can sit in people's minds and sit on the company's shelf. The thing that makes those new inventions, new ideas, innovations is they're actually taken up and monetized in the marketplace. As Barack Obama says, innovations are the new things that make our lives
0: better. Well, it's generally said that smaller businesses, smaller companies are far more innovative than their larger counterparts. Is that true in your experience? And if it is, why is that so?
1: In general, yes, it is true, but it's not all bad. And I think it is important to point out that there are many large companies that are good at innovation. Um, we've seen driverless trucks in our minds, electronic check-in recently, mobile check-ins at airports. You know, they've all made products, competitive advantage, etc. for those companies. The key thing, though to a large extent is that larger companies innovate in their existing core business and innovation is focused around efficiency and productivity and competitiveness. But if we look at smaller businesses, generally speaking, they are more agile, they can move quickly, they're very connected to the customers, and they're more willing to take risks. In fact, most small companies, as only startups, talk opportunity, they don't even talk risk. The major obstacle for smaller companies is their limited resources, So they collaborate and partner with others in order to create or annex resources to get their innovations to the market. By contrast, big business tends to be more cumbersome, slower, less willing to take risks. They talk more about markets than relating to customers and focus very much on maximizing return. They do have the resources and assets, but they're looking to maximise the return on those resources and assets rather than deploying them in innovation and taking risks. So, basically, the the modern corporation is driven, as we all know, by short-term gains, share market price, et cetera, and the management of avoidance of risk. The legal obligations of company directors, which the media jump on soon as anything's compromised, reinforces a focus, really, on, on good corporate governance and delivery of results rather than innovation. And what what I notice in in business at the moment is many companies are talking about disruption. They know that if they stand still, they're at risk. But they do struggle to encourage the exploration of new possibilities and convert innovations to the marketplace. It's often said that by the time accountants and lawyers explain why something can't happen, an entrepreneur has already made it happen.
0: So, what should we not be doing if you want to lift our innovation game, whether we're big, small or medium-sized?
1: Well, there are five things. First thing, don't try to propagate innovation as a way of operating across entire businesses. Rather, create a specialised innovation arm. Don't justify your innovations through business cases. Rather, you want to get into actions, fail fast, minimise the marginal cost of failure, learn and adjust. Don't expect short-term results, perfection, or 100% success. Rather, create the possibilities, choices, in effect, a portfolio or a pipeline of potential new businesses. Don't impose the necessary systems and structures too early. When you look at creativity, you want to encourage divergent thinking to create the opportunities and then, in time, convergent thinking to monetize them. Don't be precious about creating and controlling the innovations in-house. Rather, with bigger businesses, connect with the ecology of innovation and collaborate with others.
0: And that last point, Andrew, about collaboration, that really is important, isn't it, in the innovation game?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. We've seen in history, ideas build on ideas, technology builds on technology. And in fact, if you look at the history of innovation in the human species, really when humans started collecting and inhabiting or living in major cities, that's when there was a huge acceleration of innovation, you know, some three to 4,000 years ago. And we are so lucky in Australia with, with the likes of Melbourne, Sydney, you know, and Brisbane in terms of being hubs for innovation. Melbourne and Sydney are rated in the top 15 cities in most innovative cities in the world along with the likes of Tel Aviv and many US cities. So in terms of ideas on ideas, technology and on technology, yes, connecting and collaborating is essential.
3: Andrew Hutchinson. So, if you have been hit by new players coming into the market, sweeping the business rug from under your feet, what can you do? According to well-known business author and advisor Alan Hargraves, there are good and not so good ways to respond if it happens. He writes about such things in his latest book, Management Reboot, 52 Ideas to Make Things Happen. Alan starts with the way most people respond, and
2: it's not so good. Mostly, they respond pretty badly. They tend to either freak out or think they have to do a lot of things or they run and hide and say, no, we've always done it this way, we'll keep doing it this way. The taxi industry, for example, right? You know, Uber comes along with a very simple idea. This is not a complicated idea. It would not have been that complicated for the taxi industry anywhere to say to a bunch of geeks, make us the same model, we want it in every taxi And they could have competed with them. Instead, it was run and hide behind a regulatory wall, try and get it banned rather than roll with it. You see, some taxi drivers now have a a little Uber membership as well. So they're picking up rides both ways. But the taxi industry probably could have done that. Instead, it said, no, this is the way we do it. And it was only a small part of their business they were changing.
0: So what's a better approach than the run and hide or panic?
2: Well, as I say, they're both very extreme reactions. You're obviously not going to get anywhere if you run and hide the world's going to change around you. You're not going to go with it. Unfortunately, I also come across a lot of people who say, we've got to massively transform the entire company and turn it upside down. Corporate transformation is a huge job, usually ends in disaster. How many times do you hear people say, oh, we're having a great restructuring? Mostly you hear, oh, you know what they're doing now? And so I think we need to step back and and be a little bit underwhelmed, not start to run on this, and look at the things we can do step by step as we work through our business. You know, take a simple digitization exercise like you might remember the decision journey, which was a theory of like how someone finds your product, how they compare it, how they get to like it, how they finally transact, whether they'll ever transact with you again in the future and whether you have a relationship with them over time, the so-called decision journey. Every little part of that, how do they find out about your product? Well. If you're not on social media, you need to be. If you don't have a suitable website, you ought to get one. Um, How do they compare it? There are good ways to actually delve into social media programming to prove your product is the best one on the market. How do you transact? Have you got an app where they can buy things with one click? Have you simplified your business so that people can actually easily do business with you? Because most new startups, most of it is focused on how easy it is to do business with them. Then the transaction happens. Do you capture the data? Do You've got a list of what they liked, who they clicked on, what they are looking for so that you could go back to them. At some stage, you say, oh, we noticed that you liked that product. Would you be interested in this? And send them, you know, the appropriate thing there. And so you build up a bank of relationships and a bank of data. Everyone talks about big data. Nothing wrong with little data either.
0: Well, you're a great believer in baby steps, aren't you, Alan?
2: The only way to do everything, (laughs) especially in times of change, because it goes back to what I've said before about risk. You can't just decide you're going to bet the farm. You've got to put your toe in the water. But once you start to do one thing, if we go back to what I was just saying that once you actually have a particular social media campaign, you'll start to think, oh, we might do another one slightly differently to capture that transaction. If we're going to make it easy for them to actually transact, we need one of these things what do you find at the end of the year, you've digitised an entire stream of business. That is one step at a time. The great thing about one step at a time is once you've taken the first step, you're going to take the next one because it will suggest what the next step is.
0: Now, disruption may cause anxiety, but uh, you remind us that good businesses will do well regardless. And um, tell us about the father and son home furnishing store that you came across that was doing well despite the difficulties of the retail industry
2: around it. It was the one store in a mall that I was walking through that didn't look like it was in trouble. There was not a massive 50% discount sale sign on the window. The doors were wide open. It was beautifully laid out. You wanted to walk in there and buy everything that was in a particular setup because you could see it in your lounge room at home. As you walked in, you were welcomed. Uh, You weren't pressured. It was obvious that if you had a problem, you could ask them. Uh, It was a very open operation. The pricing of the product there wasn't at a particularly steep discount. It wasn't overpriced. It was just sensibly priced. And so I talked to both of them about this. And it's a father and son business. The son is great at presentation. He's great with people. He's a customer person. He lays out the store. He does a beautiful job. Dad, He's an old-time furniture salesman, and he's interested in margin. So when they go on their buying trips, they don't look at what's the cheapest thing they can get. They say, what is the product with the best margin I can have here that I know I can sell? And so instead of saying, what can I sell cheaply, it's what can I sell most profitably? And of course, if you've got a lot of margin in your price... You can, when you're chatting to your customer, very happily say, well, I could probably knock a few percent off here for you. But you're not saying to everyone who goes past, we're in trouble. It's a closing down sale. Come in and buy things cheap.
0: And what do you think the lessons are for anybody else in business, retail or not?
2: I think those two things go together. It struck me the way that father and son represented two essential parts of a business. They're both mutually reinforcing. So authentic engagement hones the product selection. They go back and they buy the right things because they're working with their customers. They know what the customer will pay for it. So if you get both right, and you stand a good chance not only of making a sale, but also of actually making a profit.
3: Alan Hargraves. And that ends Business Essentials Podcast. Proudly brought to you with the support of Chartered Accountants and Business Advisors, Cummings Flavor McCormack. We hope you've enjoyed Episode 17. I'm Peter Letts. Thanks for listening.
0: business essentials podcast has been produced by b media production building engagement and adding value through quality audio communication